We are so glad you're here today. How are you doing? You're doing good? All right. Well, um, we're all familiar with a bunch of inventions that have changed the world, right? The automobile, the steam engine, the, the buggy for the horse. I guess we didn't invent the horse, but the horse and buggy. Um, the computer, the telephone, the cell phone. We're all, we're all familiar with all those kind of inventions because they've changed the world and they were by design. But there's a whole bunch of things that have occurred and that have changed the world that were actually incidental or they were more a- accidental. Um, the guy was actually doing some vacuum tube studies and a candy bar in his pocket began to melt. And that's how the microwave oven actually got created. He knew something was going on when his chocolate bar was melting in his pocket. Um, the, the incredible, you know, chocolate chip cookies, that was another accident that, that took place. Um, there's a whole bunch of inventions that have taken place in life that were just kind of incidental. Uh, and by the way, I, I, wanna, I don't know if you know this or not, but like the potato chip, the potato chip was actually an accident. So if I'm going to tell you about the story about the potato chip, and there is a theological purpose to this story, okay? It's like, what did you study at church after the resurrection? Well, my church talked about potato chips, okay? How many of you in the room eat potato chips? How many of you like potato chips? Okay, that's good. There's one for you. All right. How many of you in the room um, don't like potato chips? Raise your hand. Okay, we won't send one to you. Okay, watch out, watch out. All right. Um, How many of you like barbecue? Barbecue potato chips? All right. Okay, Audrey, that's for you. Whoops, I can't, I can't shoot. Sorry. Um, Doritos. Who likes Doritos in the room? I can't go that far, but I'll try. Oh, there we go. Jeff just had heart surgery. You may not eat the potato chips. Those are not for you, okay? Um, The potato chips, actually a pretty cool story in the fact that in 1853, a chef by the name of George Crumb, and George Crumb was known for his fat potato wedges, And it was a very wealthy restaurant, and this patron didn't like the fat potato wedges, so he sent sent them back. And so George Crumb cooked them up again, sent them back out. The guy sent them back a second time. George Crumb doctored them up, sent them out. The guy sent them back a third time. And George Crumb, even though he was a great chef, he was known as a hothead. He takes his knife, and he slices them as thin as he possibly can. He puts them in a deep fryer and he fries the heck out of them. And then he baptizes them in salt because he's mad at the guy. He wants the guy to get sick. The whole point was the guy would get sick from eating the potato chips. So he sends them back out. And guess what? He loved it. He loved it. He starts, you know, passing them out to his friends. And and they all start eating the potato chips. And that's the story. And today it's a $7 billion a year industry. The potato chip. It all happened by accident. Now, here's the point. I think when it comes to Easter and the story of the resurrection and the story then of this movement beginning, I think a lot of people think it just kind of happened incidentally. It was just an accident. You know, the right people at the right time, and we got the Roman road thing going on, and, and you know, it's, it's just a, it's an internal momentum movement. I, I think most people think that Christianity just kind of happened. It fell into place. Everything worked the same time, the same people, the, the right situations, and all of a sudden there was internal momentum, which then led to external momentum. And, and I think most people in our country just kind of think this all took place by 
accident, this incredible change. But this change did not take place by accident. In fact, this was something that God had preordained and planned before the creation of the world. And so today, we're going to study John the Baptist and really more about how John the Baptist came to bring change. And so if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 3 with me, that's great. We're going to study there. And in Matthew 3, we're going to see that it was not an accident. It was strictly by design. And John the Baptist comes, and you remember the story a little bit from Sunday school from years ago, and he wears these funny, funny clothes. And we're like, well, why does it go into great description about the funny clothes? Well, the reason is, is is he's describing really some of the clothes that Elijah wore. And so John the Baptist comes wearing some of the very same clothes that Elijah wore, that Elijah was wearing. And so everybody knew that before the Messiah would come, Elijah was to be there first. And so John the Baptist comes in the power and the spirit of Elijah. And so everybody's asking J the B, are you like Elijah? And so, no, I'm not. But he came in the spirit and the power. Because Malachi said that before the Savior would come, there would be one that would be just like like, uh, Elijah. And so here we have this amazing story. And the story then kicks back on where it's back on. It's been 400 years of silence. For 400 years, there has been no prophetic message from the last prophet of the Old Testament, Malachi, to this very first prophet of the New Testament, John the Baptist, 400 years have gone by. That's a long time. That's longer than our country. 400 years have gone by. And all of a sudden, it's back on. And so John comes wearing these same clothes that Elijah's wearing. He comes to the Judean wilderness, and he begins to fulfill the prophecy from Isaiah. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record Isaiah chapter 40, which is about get ready, get ready, it's back on, he's coming, the Messiah's coming, and things will never be the same. And then all four Gospels, including John the Baptist, start talking about the kingdom of God. And I want us today to identify what the kingdom of God is, because you're in it. And so today, we're in the kingdom of God. Today, we're a part of the kingdom of God. It's why we do some of the things that we do because the kingdom of God, but it's not fulfilled yet. The kingdom of God came when Jesus was on the earth. That's when it got started. But today, you and I are a part of the kingdom of God. That's why we love, serve, give, share, care, do all the things that we do. Okay? That's why we send these high schoolers to go do something for missions. And, and, and yet the kingdom of God will not be fulfilled until Jesus comes again. So Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, didn't happen by accident. It wasn't an incidental situation that just changed the world. It was a design plan from your heavenly Father. So here's Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. It starts off this way. It says, in those days... Now, I don't know how many times you've read over that, but in those days is a great big statement. In, in those days, they had the first Roman emperor named Caesar Augustus. In those days, the Jewish people were slaves to the Romans. In those days, Pontius Pilate ruled and reigned over Jerusalem. In those days, King Herod, who wasn't really from the lineage of David, was the puppet king that the Romans put in place. In those days, where is God? In those days, we are poor. 
We are struggling. We're going through the same religious motions day after day after day. Where is this Yahweh who's promised to be our deliverer? In those days, those people were struggling greatly. And they wanted change. We need a change in our life. And so here comes Jay the Bee, John the Baptist. You know those stories from Christmas time? Go from Christmas, fast forward 30 years, and here we have John the Baptist on the scene. And so he came, and God had ordained this. He came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Look at the, what, what was he preaching? Here's what he preached in the next verse. He preached repent. Now I want to talk about repentance today. Because everybody always associates repentance with faith and with religion. But repentance is a good word because it's a word that applies to all areas of your life. Now, we always apply it to church, and we always think about, you know, the guy at the Bucks game with the billboard sign that says, you know, repent, turn or burn. And so we always look at repentance as kind of, have you seen that guy out there? He's crazy, isn't he? I don't know if that works or not, but it catches my attention. But but anyway, so you see this, and, and you think about repentance as a negative term. You can repent from your eating habits. You can repent. It's change of thinking, change of behavior. And so he comes, he repent, he says. Why? Because the kingdom of God is, the kingdom of heaven, it, it has come near. In other words, it's time for you to change. And so I want you today to walk out of here with the big picture concept of what repentance is. It is a good word. It, it can be one of your favorite words. It can be one of your best friends. Repentance is a great word. So what does repentance mean? If you want to fill these in, this, the word repent just means to change your thinking. I used to think this way. I used to think, you know, that we should invest this way, but I've, I've changed my thinking. I, I used to think that we should study this way, or I used to think that we should, should buy this, or I used to think that we should sell this. Repentance just means I've changed how I think. Secondly, though, it means I changed my behavior. So repentance has two concepts to it. Change your thinking, change your behavior. And so what John is saying to all these people is, you need to change how you think about God. You've put God like in a shoebox in the back of your closet because you don't think he's relevant. You don't think he exists. God's not a part of your life anymore. And he said, I'm asking you, to change how you think about God. And secondly, your behavior is pitiful. You're buying and selling. You're offering, you know, sacrifices, and you're going through all the religious systems. But you don't have a relationship with God. God God is like some perfunctory thing that you go through in your life. And so here's a group of people that he's asking to change how they think. He's asking them how they change their behavior. Why? Because the kingdom... The kingdom of heaven is at near. Now, I want to give you five quick fill-ins, and this is going back to seminary and Bible college for just a minute. If you're new to church, take a nap for the next three minutes. This is going to be tough. If you haven't been to church ever in your life, the next three or four minutes is not going to be fun. But I'm asking you just to give me three or four minutes. We'll break through this, and then we'll pull everybody back together, okay? So what is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of heaven? Here's what he describes it as. The kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, two interchangeable words, is the reign of God that he brings about through Jesus Christ. It's the reign of God. And the kingdom of God began when Jesus came on the scene. You're in the kingdom of God today. It's not been fulfilled. It's not fully there. It's not fully developed yet. But the kingdom came when Jesus 
uh, was on the earth. Now, this is why we do what we do. This is why we try to teach children. This is why we teach students. This is why we have women's ministry. This is why we're building a wedding chapel. We're building a wedding chapel to help people to understand marriage. It's why we do what we do, because we're a part of the kingdom of God. And so why do I pray? Because I'm a part of the kingdom of God. Why do I want to learn the scriptures? Because I'm a part of the kingdom of God. Why do I want to give my money to help fund, support ministries, missions? Because I'm a part of the kingdom of God. So what is the kingdom? It's the reign of God. It's not fully developed, but it's partly there today. Secondly, the next one, number two. It's the establishment of God's rule in the hearts and lives of his people. This is what God wants to do. It was time for a change. They were offering all these sacrifices, and religion was external. You've been to churches like this, churches that try to change your external behavior. It doesn't work. I can guilt you, I can make you feel bad, I can motivate you for about 30 seconds till you walk out of here and you have to fight in the parking lot, right? It works for about 30 seconds. By the way, we've started the new driveway, we'll have another exit really soon, about two or three months, we'll have two ways to get in, two ways to get out, that's a God gift right there. So it started, so that's coming, it's coming, all right? So just be nice in the parking lot for the next two or three months and everybody will be happy, okay? But, but the kingdom of God, he starts to work on you internally. So much different than externally. It's not religion. It's a relationship. He changes you internally. Number three, the kingdom of God is overcoming all the forces of evil. He now puts his spirit inside of you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Number four, <clears throat> the removal from the world, all the consequences of sin. Now, we're not fully there yet, are we? But we see that as Christians and as believers, we then have some removal of the consequences of sin. It doesn't impact us. I wonder if I'm hungry. I had a little breakfast. These Fritos would be really good, wouldn't they? All right. It's the removal from the world, the consequences of God's sin. And there's one more. It's the creation of a new order. That won't happen until Jesus comes again. The kingdom of God began when Jesus came the first time. The kingdom of God will find its fulfillment when Jesus comes a second time. All right, look at verse 3. Matthew chapter 3, verse 3. And so here's the point. He quotes Isaiah. This was he he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And what's that mean? It means it's back on. It's been silent for 400 years. It's back on. Everybody get ready. Here comes the Messiah. Look at the next verse. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. I thought, why do they go into such description about this? Because they're describing Elijah. If you go back to the book of 2 Kings, you see how Elijah dressed. And Elijah had this great big leather belt around his waist. I thought, duh, it makes sense for the very first time. And his food was locusts and wild honey, and locusts were clean, and the, and the honey was just another, another type of clean food. So here comes this prophet who is very kosher. Look at the next verse, verse 5. <clears throat> and people went out <clears throat> to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Now, why do they come out to him? Because they're ready. They're ready for change. I- I'm telling you, People are coming to Christ today like never before. More people 
are becoming Christians today than any other time in our history. People are ready for a relationship. People are ready for a change. People have tried sex, drugs, rock and roll. They've tried everything, and they still have this burning desire within them to connect with their Heavenly Father. And people just like today, then, they were going out to hear truth, to hear truth, to hear truth, to hear truth, and they came out to him. Look at verse 6. And so they were confessing their sins, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Now, just, just leave that verse up there for just a couple minutes, if you would, Deb. So I want to talk about repentance because John is offering a baptism of repentance. He's offering a water baptism. And this water baptism was turning from your sins and turning to your heavenly father. And so they were confessing their sins. In other words, they were saying, you know what? You're right. We've not been following God. We've not had a relationship with the big Yahweh, with Jehovah. We've been going to the sacrifices and the temple and the synagogues, and we've been going through the motions, and we're reading the scriptures, and we're praying the perfunctory prayers, and we're throwing in our temple temple offerings, but but we're not connected. We're not dialed into our Heavenly Father. You're absolutely right. And so they come out from the wilderness and all these areas of Judea, and John's just preaching a baptism of repentance. And what does this mean? It means you've not been, and now you can be. And it's time for you to change your thinking and to change your behavior. So when we talk about repentance, it's a little bit different. Let me rephrase that. It's a lot different than when you're confessing your sins during communion. Now, that's why one of the reasons why we have communion every Sunday. So as Christians, as believers, we know that there's all these lists of sins that the Bible talks about, and during communion, we're confessing those sins. That's not what John's talking about. John's talking about a whole movement of away from and to. We've not been with God, and now we're going to choose God. Now, here's the reason why this is so important. If you're not a Christian in this room, this is critically important for you. If you are a believer in this room, it is essential that you understand the difference between confessing your sins and repentance. Because everybody in, our, in, our, in the room, we've all got family, we've all got friends, we've all got people that we like, we've got people that we don't like, we've got all these people that need to come to God. And so what John is saying is this water baptism. This water baptism is a baptism of repentance, which it's a sign and it's a symbol. It's a sign and a symbol. And I'll come back to that in just a minute. And so the, the repentance is, I haven't been living for God. I haven't even really liked God. I haven't understood God. I don't really know God. I've been living for me. It's all about me. I've been selfish, self-centered. And so this baptism of repentance is the big picture. It's the big turn. I'm now going to, gosh, I've never lived for God. I've never really thought much about God. I haven't really cared much about God, if you want to know the truth. But now I'm turning my life. And so this baptism by repentance, it, it is a confession of God. I want God in my life. Now, we can talk about all these sins over here that as believers we confess. Sexual immorality, homosexuality, greed, conceit, idolatry, idolatry, all those. That's not what we're talking about. 
That's over here. We're confessing our sins during communion on a regular basis. This is the choice to follow God. This is a water baptism statement, stick, statement in the ground, stake in the ground, that I'm now going to follow God. This is another sermon. This is another area. He's just talking about, will you, all you people in the Jordan and the Jordanian valleys and Judean valleys in the wilderness, will you now turn to God? And that's the question for all of us in this room, if, you're, if you've never done that. Will you turn your life to God? And you see, we get hung up over here with all these other sins and things that we, get to, we struggle with. And you know what? You, you can't overcome all that. That's what the Holy Spirit does. We're going to talk about that next week. He, he's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit with fire. He gives you the ability. But, but the first decision is, am I going to follow God? And so all these people, they all come out. And they start getting baptized. Now, why baptism? Well, baptism is a sign. I'm going to join the team. And it's a symbol of cleansing. It's a sign. I'm now going to cross over, literally crossing over the Jordan. I'm now going to cross over and I'm going to join God's team. It's a sign and it is a symbol of cleansing. And so when he offers them to be baptized, they understood something that you and I can't see. In this intertestamental period of the 400 years, they start doing daily baths and daily baptisms. Archaeologists have unearthed over 200 of these, about 60, holding about 60 gallons. We call them a jacuzzi or hot tub, but about the size of a jacuzzi or hot tub. Archaeologists have unearthed these, and, and, and the rich people would go every day for a cleansing. And so when he's talking about a baptism, Everybody there understood it was talking about a sign and a symbol. And so here they go. They all go out in the river. Look at verse 7. But when many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, see, they got, they got baptized a lot. Some of these people got baptized every day. Some of the Sadducees and Pharisees had a daily bath. They wanted to show everybody, you know, we're ritual, we're, we're clean, we're, we're great, we're wonderful, godly people. And so they, they did it every day. And John's going, time out, bro, time out. You need to have a little bit of substance behind what you're doing. And so he says, you brood of vipers. He never read Dale Carnegie's book, did he? How to Win Friends and Influence People. He, he never read that book. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. Verse 8. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So there's an expectation. So John is saying you need to repent. You need to choose God. And there are some expectations that go along with it. Granted. Look at the next verse. Verse 9. Do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. Can't you? Look at verse 10. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 11. I baptize you with water for repentance. Don't miss this. I'm asking you to turn to God. I'm not asking you to clean up your life. I'm not, I'm not going to have the 20 or 25 sins over here. You've got to get together. I'm not working on that. I'm just asking you to turn your life to God. Now, now think about this, friends. Just leave that up there for a second, if you would. Think about this. 
How would we help our family and our friends if they understood that their first step was to turn to God? You, you, can't, you, can't, you can't clean all this up over here. Nobody's been able to clean themselves up. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes into your life after you do this, and the Holy Spirit then begins to change you from the inside out. And the Holy Spirit's not going to stop doing that until you're six feet under, right? And everybody in the room gets that. <clears throat> and everybody feels that tension because we all know that during communion time, we're all confessing our sins. And during communion time, we're all feeling like, gosh, I've been a Christian for five years or 15 years or 25 years. I should be doing better than I am. That's the purpose of communion, to confess your sins and let the Holy Spirit work on you over here. But this is what we're talking about today. So you've got a friend. You've got a family member. You've got a neighbor. You've got a coworker. And you start with the great big concept of God. Will you turn away from living for yourself? And what would your life be like if you just turned? You changed your thinking. You changed your behavior. And you turned to God. And so John's saying, I, I got a water baptism thing going on. And we do that as well. It's a sign. It's a symbol. But I got the water baptism going on. But after me, this is the good part. Well, the first part's good too, but this is the better part, okay? After me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals, I can't even untie them. I'm not worthy. But he will baptize you. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk about that a little bit next week. So what keeps us in life from changing, just change in general? You know you need to make a change. You've got some horrible habits, and you know that you need to change. It could be study habits. You're a procrastinator. You don't follow up. You don't follow through. You've got terrible spending habits, terrible sleep patterns, terrible eating habits, what in general keeps you stuck? Well, research and science has actually found some pretty interesting things. Look at this next slide. I want to show you this slide. Here's really what keeps you and I stuck in life. A misunderstanding about the need for change or maybe saturation. Maybe you've heard it again and again and again and again, but it's just, it's just too much. It just goes in one ear out the other. A lot of times we don't change because we're afraid, aren't we? The fear, the fear of the unknown, maybe lack of competence. Maybe I'm not sure how, to, I don't know that I have the skill to, to be able to change. I'm really connected to the old way. You know, I really think a lot of non-Christian people are just afraid to give their lives to God because they have at least some routine, even though it's heathen or pagan, they have some routine in their life that they, at least they're comfortable with, Right? Not being consulted, and this is kind of in business, you know, you don't want to change because they didn't ask you if you'd like to change or if you thought the change was a good idea. Um, but, but you see, maybe we don't understand the benefits. Maybe we don't understand the rewards to change. And yet there's all these incredible opportunities, about 10 of these on here. And these are 10 of the most popular ones, there's about 13 in general, but I, I thought these 10 fit, fit nicely. And so what would keep you from changing? What would keep you from giving your life to God? Would it be fear of the unknown? Would it be, I don't, I don't have enough understanding? 
Would it be that I don't know the benefits? I don't understand the, 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 the rewards? Would it be oversaturation? My mother, my grandmother, my grandfather, they're all the time preaching at me. What, what, what would keep you from changing your life? Well, John comes on the scene, and it's not, it's not an accident. It was by design. And when he comes on this scene, he's offering everyone there, no matter how sinful, no matter how disobedient, no matter how apathetic they've been toward their Heavenly Father, he's offering everyone an opportunity to repent, to turn from something that's not God, and to turn to God. Now, that's the message that we all need to carry. Because we've got family members and friends that get all bogged down with all these 22, 25, 26 sins over here. And we just need to get them to say, will you turn to God? And what would your life be like? And how would your life be different? And would you feel better and have more peace and have more security? Would you, if you, and all of a sudden, the lights just kind of come on. You see, Christian baptism is like this amazing gift. It's this amazing gift. It's a symbol and it's a sign, isn't it? It, it, It's a symbol of cleansing, but it's a sign that you've changed teams. There's nothing magical about the water. It doesn't matter if it's the Gulf of Mexico doesn't matter if it's my swimming pool. doesn't matter if it's our baptistry over here. It doesn't matter. There's nothing magical about the water. It all has bacteria in it, right? All the water's, you know, there's nothing magical about the water. And there's nothing magical about who baptizes you. If, if, there's, if they're a believer, he or she's a believer, there's nothing magical about that. And so when we do all our different beach baptisms, you know, we've got moms and dads out there baptizing. The dad will come out there with his kids and he'll ask me, hey, will you baptize, you know, my kids? I said, I'll be glad to, but would you like to do it? There's always that deer in the headlight look like, can I? Can I really do this? And Is this cool? I said, absolutely. And so, you know, you've got Jonathan and Tom Goodlett and, you know, does it matter who? Well, it does matter if Tom baptizes you, but, but if Jonathan or I baptize you, you know, you're probably safe. It probably took, okay? That's a joke, okay? That's a joke. It, it doesn't matter who baptizes you. There's nothing magical about that. But it, it's this amazing sign that I have chosen to live for God. Now, why was it such a powerful sign? Because it represented the biggest event of all of history, the death the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And so the baptismal sign is you die, you're buried, and you rise to a brand new life. It's a sign and a symbol. And you've changed teams, and you've gotten this this cleansing. And then the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, and he begins to work on you. And I just got good news or bad news, depending on your interpretation. He's going to do this to you the rest of your life. He's going to cleanse you from the inside out because you and I are not accidentally a part of the kingdom of God. We are purposely a part of the kingdom. 2 Corinthians chapter whatever, 7, 9, what's it say? 7, 2 Corinthians 7, I couldn't remember. 2 Corinthians 7, I had the 7 and the 9, I couldn't remember which one came first. It said, um, 
Look at it says, because, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so you were not harmed in any of us in, in any way. Look at the next verse. And so godly sal- sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation, and it leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Look at Psalm 51. Psalm 51 says this. Here's David. He's talking about his sin, and he's sorrowful for what he's done. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse all, all, from all my sin. Look at the next, the next slide. says this. Look, look at this. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. And then here's the point. He says this. Against you and you only have I sinned. Why do you want to turn from and turn to? Because ultimately all of our sin is against our Heavenly Father, against you, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So we're offering some water baptisms on April the 19th. If you've never been baptized by immersion, we offer to do that. We want you to celebrate right now and watch this uh, with us.